You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This episode of the All Things Private Practice Podcast is brought to you by Embark EMR. Embark is a superb software solution for the solo practitioner as well as group practices. Embark was designed by therapists to be simple and intuitive without all the extra stuff that you don't need so you don't feel like you're being nickel and dimed. Embark enables scheduling with automatic appointment reminders, a note organization system with multiple pre-built templates, and an automated invoice and super bill generation to make it easier on your clients. There's even a patient portal where your clients can access notes, documents, and generate their own invoices and super bills. Embark EMR is setting a new precedent in EMR functionality and affordability. Embark simple one-tier system is $20 a month per therapist, and there are never any extra fees. Try Embark EMR today with a free trial at EmbarkEMR.com. You can also use code ATPP for 20% off an entire year of Embark. Hey, everyone. You are listening to another episode of the All Things Private Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Casal, and I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Dr. Amy Parks. She is the founder of the Clinical Supervision Directory. She is located in Virginia and a PhD as well. And we're going to talk about all things supervision today, the good, bad, and ugly, and everything in between. So Amy, I'm really happy to have you on. I'm glad we could finally make this time work and excited to talk about what you've created. Absolutely. I feel like I'm, I feel kind of like I'm on like tour because I've been doing a lot of podcasts and I'm really excited to, to be here with your audience and to be talking to you because it's extra fun to do podcasts with people I know and love and, um, and to talk about clinical supervision. I, I swore I would not be the supervision lady, but I have turned Turned into that. Uh, so um, I'm happy to talk about the good, the bad, and and the ugly. Sadly, there is some, um, but also to talk about um, some exciting things for our field and for our, our professional colleagues. Yeah, I think that all sounds great. And yeah, when I think of supervision, I definitely associate your name with, with that, uh, that term. So I guess you have become the supervision lady, so to oh, speak. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> but I have to imagine that was some of the intention starting the clinical supervision directory at some point or another. But yeah, I want to talk about this subject because it is so important for mental health practitioners um, to have good quality supervision, but more importantly, to have supervision that is also in alignment with who they are and that takes culture into consideration and just really, you know, has a different perspective on the way things are done. And I can tell some stories about some ugly slash non-helpful supervision situations, as we probably all can, especially those of us who may be in community mental health or have left community mental health. So can you tell us a little bit about where this journey starts and, and why this has become your passion? Yeah, so we we have a really, um, you know, we have a pretty big systemic issue in supervision and, and you know, it's really a kind of defined it as the gap. And um, it's been a gap for a really, really long time. And we all sort of acknowledge it. And, and I really, you know, we talk about this in therapy all the time. And as therapists, I think it's funny that we've, we've come to sort of um, tolerate 
this gap. And of course, we know as therapists that when you tolerate something, you're also endorsing it. So we've tolerated and then therefore endorsed this gap for for decades or, you know, at least for a very long time. And this gap is exists. And, and that is that when you go from your graduate program or you're moving along your licensure journey um, and you go from your graduate program into supervision, uh, it's really difficult for a variety of reasons to find supervision and not only to find supervision, but to find quality supervision that aligns with lots of different things and, and kind of checks the boxes. Like you mentioned, checks the cultural box, checks the diversity box, checks the gender box, checks the professional sort of alignment box, private practice, community mental health, social work, counseling, marriage and family therapy, EMDR, RPT, all of the alphabets, um, you know, checks all those boxes, checks the geographic box, checks the handicap accessible office, checks the can I see you by teletherapy box, all of those different things. Um, and again, because we've tolerated this, we've, we've therefore endorsed it. And, you know, so a lot of us, um, I don't know about you, but a lot of us have, you know, found our supervision, our supervisors, you know, by asking a friend of a friend of a friend, or, you know, we talk to a colleague or a professor and we sort of got a recommendation or we sort of were forced into our supervisory relationship by means of, you know, our employer. And, you know, that's really the way you either um, get forced off the highway in the middle of nowhere to the worst possible McDonald's because you have nowhere else to eat or go to the bathroom, or that's how you find a restaurant because, you know, like that's how somebody recommended. Okay, so you got to eat, you've got to get supervision. So you go with what's easy, um, but it's not really always the healthiest or the best strategy for you to get your professional supervision. And so we're training, and I'm not saying that all of us are not quality and skilled because of this, but we're training our, our next generation of clinical supervisors in a way that is ne not necessarily aligned with best practice. And so therefore, um, I believe that if we want to up-level what we're providing for our communities, then we need to be saying that we want to up-level the strategy that we use for matching clinical supervision with the clinical supervision seekers. And because we have some fantastic, many, many, many hundreds of fantastic clinical supervisors who just need to find the right fit. So that's what the clinical supervision directory does. It's kind of like the match.com of supervision, except we're not allowed to say that because of course, you know, we'd get sued and you're not supposed to date your supervisor. That's bad, bad, bad. Um, and that's so there's no catfishing. So there is no catfishing. There is no Tinder for supervision. But the point <laughs> is, is that there has to be a way to match that's better. Um, and, you know, during the pandemic, I just started realizing that no one was doing this and none of our associations, NASW and ACA and AAMFT and AMCA, none of them were addressing the gap because, again, we're tolerating it. We've endorsed it for decades. Why not just keep on keep on letting the gap just exist? And I thought, I looked, I promise you, Patrick, I looked so hard. I looked so damn hard because I didn't want to do this. <laughs> but, but I didn't, I really didn't. But I thought someone has to do this. Someone, surely someone has done this. Someone has closed this gap already. And a few people in a few states have, but not nationwide. Seems like a, a pretty enormous undertaking, you know, especially when you say I didn't want to do this. It sounds like almost like a passion, like a project out of necessity in a lot of ways is how it came about of like, I noticed that this is a need that we need to fill. And you're right. We are conditioned to think about supervision in one way or another. If we work for an agency, you see the agency supervisor, right? 
And when I worked in community mental health, that supervision was free and included in your salary and you were really excited. Yes, I'm going to get in-house supervision. And then I would go to supervision and it would be an hour and a half long and there would be 20 people in there. And my supervisor was overworked and spread too thin and exhausted. And it was just a bitching session, so to speak, where people were just like airing their complaints or their grievances or their frustrations. And to me, I was just like, well, I'm not going back to supervision then because this is pointless for me. I mean, this is not helpful. And I think a lot of us have those experiences, but we endure it because we're like, well, this is what we have to do. This is what is required of us. And we're not really learning a whole lot in a, in a setting like that when that is the structure of the supervision. And I know that's not everything. I know that every place doesn't operate that way, but I think for a lot of people, they do experience it and then they don't really get to ask the challenging questions. They don't really get to conceptualize around cases. They don't really get to work with supervisors who, like you said, maybe, maybe they look like them. Maybe they identify in a certain way. Maybe they practice in a certain style. It's more just like you get what you get and this is all we have to offer. And I remember going to my program manager saying like, Hey, if you're going to keep me here and you want to keep me happy, then you're going to pay for external supervision because that's the only way I'm going to do this job for you. And they did, but they limited it to, we'll pay $30 an hour outside of this. And I couldn't find anybody. Nobody wanted to take that on. So I ended up paying out of pocket. And again, just one of those things that was a benefit at the time of working at an agency job, no longer became a benefit. It actually became quite a deterrent and a, a detriment to me and my clinical uh, pursuit of my license. You know, it's interesting too, you know, so um, it's, it's it, the big, the challenge is, the challenge is, is great. The challenge is huge for supervision seekers. The challenge is equally huge for supervisors, as you're mentioning. So, you know, I don't want to fault that supervisor who had the 20 people at your agency and really could only provide managerial supervision because they were stretched. You know, they were probably an amazing clinical supervisor and just didn't have any option. Um, and so, you know, I meet a lot of clinical supervisors who say, well, I don't really need to be in your directory because I've already got 20 supervisees. And my argument back to them, and, and this has really kind of been an interesting journey for me. My argument back to them is, no, you don't. You're right. You don't need to be in my directory, but you do. And here's why. Because you represent a demographic to the next generation that they need to see. They need to see what they are aspiring to clinically in order to know what they need to become. And so you can say in your directory listing, I'm not taking on supervisees, but this is the journey that I went through to become a community mental health clinic clinician. This is my, this is my professional path. You know, that's, that's one of the things that's really critical is a lot of these, you know, young people who are coming up don't even know how to get to where they need to get to. And so, you know, that's, an, that's another kind of part of this. And then there's the faculty element, the people at the universities, these, you know, university supervisors, they say, well, I don't need to be in your directory either. I don't need supervisees, but they need to be in the directory too, because they, again, need to show the path to the next generation of how to get there. Someone said to me the other day, Amy, can you do it? Can you do a course on how to become a university professor? I'm like, no, <laughs> um, yeah, great idea. Like I am one and I, and I, that's a great, I don't have time for that. However, put a, put a university supervisor at that task. Let, let the next generation see that. 
So again, the, the clinical supervision directory, again, fills that gap, not only serving as a, as a connection superhighway for supervision seekers and supervisors, but also as a mentor database to say, look at what you could become. Because you don't know when you're 23 years old, sitting in your university classroom, what you can become because you can't see it. And so until you can see it, until you can see that you are, you know, a Korean American student who has, you know, never been beyond Sacramento and you can be such and such and so-and-so somewhere else, like you don't know what you can be until you can see it. And so, and we've, we've heard that echoed now for the last two years more than ever before. And so that's really what is growing. And, it, and again, too, like putting experts in this as well, people who are experts at business growth, at documentation, at event planning, at other things in our field, group development or, you know, working with groups or, um, you know, suicidal ideation, people that are experts in play therapy and EMDR, those people, putting those mentor, putting those people in this directory as a place to say, look, in our field, these are the people you're going to aspire to. That is we, that is us saying as a profession, look, here, here we are. This is how we want mental health to look. And if we want to say as a community of mental health clinicians that we believe mental health is this important, we have to elevate it as a, as a profession ourselves. Because you know what? No one else is doing it for us, Patrick. It's not like Congress is out there saying, yay, rah, rah, you guys should make more money because you're so good at what you do. That's very true. It's very well said. <laughs> and I like this approach because it's so much more than just supervision. And, you know, that's that's the point of this, right, is like if you can show all of the different avenues of ways this career can can kind of go. Right. It allows people to know their options. It allows people to understand you don't just have to go to grad school, go into community mental health, work as a case manager. Like there are so many paths and there are so many exits off the highway, so to speak. And if we don't know those things, if we don't have good mentorship, if we don't know what is possible or what our opportunities could be, it's really easy to have that tunnel vision of like, you know, I'm just driving down 95 and all I can see is that shitty McDonald's at the end of the road, you know, seven exits down. Because ultimately, I don't know any different. I don't know that I can go into career counseling. I don't know that I can be a college counselor. I don't know that I can like you said, work with specific populations and specialize in specific uh, people and, and struggle and issues. So it's really important to highlight that because I think our profession does a really good job of almost undervaluing what we do in terms of our understanding of what we offer and how we can bring those skills to the table. Exactly. You know, um, when we were at, we did a, um, we sponsored a table at the ACES convention, which is the um, American uh, uh Counselor Educator and Supervisors Conference, which is a division of the American Counseling Association. And that was back in October. And I did an interview with the president, the current president, um, whose name is uh, Kent Butler. And he said very, very clearly and, and emphatically that the most important value to him, core value to him was mentorship. And I thought to myself, absolutely 100%. And I can't think of anything right now that is being developed on a national level by a clinician that speaks to mentorship more than this. And I thought, 
dude, you're sitting right next to it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, and, and do you uh, <laughs> jump in and like shamelessly self-promote? and so, Yeah, basically. I mean, it's funny because so, I mean, I'll just, you know, tell you, Patrick, that so I live in Alexandria, Virginia, which happens to be the home of association because right outside of D.C., they can use a D.C. address. So ACA's office is three blocks from my private practice's office. So I actually do have a meeting with them next week. And fingers crossed, I'm really hoping that they see what a partnership with the clinical supervision directory and ACA and other associations, you know, that we can build a, build a, 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 a bridge um, can do for our profession. Because I know that, um, you know, I know that there are issues around this whole idea of, you know, what needs to be uh, important to our, to our profession, you know, getting clinicians into the field, trained by experienced professional supervisors in a seamless, efficient manner. I know that that keeps ACA up at night. I know that that keeps NASW up at night. I know that that keeps AMCA up at night and, and AMFT. I know it does. It has to. It should keep all of us up at night because that's what needs, that's what we need to, to, to be doing to make sure that the, the, our communities are served. Yeah. And probably more importantly now than ever with everything that our profession has been supporting with and enduring over the last couple of years, the realization that clinician burnout is so high. Yep. If we don't have good mentorship, if we don't have good support, if we don't have sound supervision and guidance, it's really easy to say, fuck this, I'm going in a different direction. I'm not doing this anymore. I can't handle it. And for that burnout to just intensify day by day, sometimes hour by hour to the point where I can't help the community. I can't even help myself. I can't even, you know, get through the day functioning as a human being, let alone a mental health clinician. And I think that means the emphasis has to be really um, intentional then on having good sound mentorship and supervision and guidance. And I think when we use the word supervision, it's great, but I think mentorship is so much more important in a lot of ways to just say, we need someone to be guiding and mentoring newer clinicians in the field, newer therapists in the field, showing them the way and showing them that there doesn't have to just be one way to do it. Um, I wanted to ask you a question about this because it comes up pretty often with the practice building and coaching that I do for newer clinicians who are coming out of grad school who would say 99% of the supervisors I've reached out to about going into private practice have shot me down saying that that's not something that they're willing to endorse. Do you have a lot of that in your in what you're creating? And what are your thoughts on that in general around newer clinicians going into group or private practice instead of the CMH route? Uh, well, gosh, I would actually say the complete opposite of that. Um, you know, I would absolutely say if you are entrepreneurial and you have, you have, you have some risk tolerance, then I think you should absolutely go into private practice. Um, if you don't have risk tolerance, then you should maybe give yourself some time, um, because it's, it's risky, um, and, and it's risky in, it's not, it's risky, not in like, you're going to be homeless and eat peanut butter and jelly, but it's risky in that it can be scary when you put yourself out there and people don't necessarily know you trust you or like you yet. And so that takes time. Um, you know, I, in addition, you know, it's interesting because 
I own the clinical supervision directory, but I also own a private practice with 15 clinicians and three offices. And we've been open as a group practice for 10 years. I've been a clinician for 35 years or 30 years practically. Um, and uh, I worked in schools for 20 years. And, and, um, and so I've been along the journey for a long time. And I teach at a university and I, I do a lot of things um, in the field. And so I have these conversations all the time. And it took us a very long time to build our reputation. And it's, there's still many times that people, you know, still, you know, don't know us or whatever, but um, it takes a lot to really have the back backbone to uh, know that, you know, sometimes not everyone's going to like you. You're not going to have everybody right away and you have to hustle and you have to be willing to hustle and you have to be willing to be vulnerable and you have to be willing to be humble and you have to be willing to take advice and, and, um, but you, but you know, community mental health can also be an incredible growth experience where you're going to get clients that you may never have, you may never see in private practice. And so you may get some incredibly challenging cases and, and opportunities to work in teams with leadership that you may never get in private practice. So I, I think there's super pros and cons. Um, I just think it depends on what the spirit you are, you know, what, what the spirit you have to, to work, where that comes from, you know, like, what do you, what do you kind of, what moves you? Like, do you, do you want to work for someone else or do you really feel like you can do it on your own? See, I like that response because it's very different than the response that so many people often get. You're saying basically check in with yourself and what, what drives you, you know, if you're risk adverse, if you want to work for yourself, sure, go, go ahead. That doesn't mean it's going to be an easy road. And I think most of my listeners would know, I will never say that being an entrepreneur is an easy road. I think a lot of therapists get discouraged because the supervisors they reach out to when they tell them, hey, I am risk adverse. I do want to work for myself. I do want to have this autonomy. I don't want to go into community mental health. And the response is, well, then you won't be prepared to be a clinician. If you go straight into private practice, you won't be clinically sound if you don't go into community mental health. And that's something that I hear very, very often from a lot of newer clinicians is that's the response that they've been given. So it doesn't sound like that's your perspective on that. And it's more so about what do you want this career to kind of look like, ensuring that you know that there are risks to being an entrepreneur. Absolutely. And that it's not always going to be an easy day. That's for sure. And there are a lot of bumps along the road. But having really good quality, sound supervision and mentorship is crucial so that you can get through those bumps in the road as well. Yeah. And I, you know, I am never going to endorse anything that isn't ethical or that isn't legal in your state or isn't licensure bound, et cetera. And, you know, one of the complications in this gap that we're talking about is how every state is so different. So like, for example, in Virginia, I have a number of supervisees that work with me because I started my own private practice after I was licensed. Because in Virginia, you can't collect money and not be licensed. That's against the rules. And so, but lots of people try to figure out ways to loophole that. And it kind of is, in my mind, looks like laundering money, but whatever. Um, I don't do that. Um, but, you know, like you do you, boo-boo, but I don't do that. Um, you know, so lots of people come to me specifically because I'm not only a clinical supervisor, but I'm also a business person. And so I have that acumen and my husband owns a toy store and we're very entrepreneurial in our family and it's totally like cool with me. So when you go to the clinical supervision directory, you're looking for, you know, does this person have like 
business experience. Or for example, you might look for, does this person work in, with the elderly? This is an, in, an area like elder care is an area that interests me. Or does this person work with children? Or does this person have like, for example, when we were at a conference display, uh, doing a, um, a display, a, a sponsorship at a conference recently, uh, a supervisee came up to us and said, I recently had to stop supervision and I haven't had a supervisor for three months because my supervisor kept misgendering me and I couldn't take it anymore, even though I had corrected them numerous times. You know, that's not okay. And so, hello, what kind of profession are we in? Um, you know, and, and a lot of other things, you know, what about supervision in different languages and cultural humility and diversity? And there's so much missing in our, in our, in our sort of tapestry of what's available for supervision. And so putting them all in one, putting us, us all, not them, putting us all in one place allows for this just beautiful place, all one sort of one-stop shop, which we've never Patrick, we have never had, never That's had. That's an incredible, incredible offering to just say, hey, filter out based upon A, B, C, and D, right? right? And I imagine there's a finance filter too to figure out what people are charging for supervision too. No, um, good idea, but no. there isn't. Um, but you know, <laughs> what you do is you put it in your bio, like we're figuring all these things out. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, 2022 is about being obsessed with the site. 2021 was about not dying but uh you know it was about just trying to launch and and getting people to know us now i'm a, i'm just obsessed with the site so we don't filter out the cost of supervision but you can put your cost in your bio but you can filter out almost all the other kinds of things you know what are your areas of specialty what are your areas of uh, you know where are your geographic regions what are your life you know what are your certifications all kinds of different like areas and you can text me you can message us and say, hey, this is an area for me. Can you make this a filter? Absolutely, sure. Um, you know, and, and the other thing people don't mention in terms of the entrepreneurial spirit, you know, as a clinical supervisor, yes, you do charge for clinical supervision. It is a subset of your income stream and we all paid for it. I don't care what people wanna tell you. It costs money to get supervised. It's the way it is. It's an income stream and teaching is too. So, you know, we offer CEs in our, in our, in our site and we pay faculty to teach from our site. So, you know, these are all ways of, of continuing to grow as, as clinicians. Yeah, definitely. I know that's a big point of contention is what do people charge for supervision? And in reality, there's going to be people who charge $50 for supervision. There's going to be people who charge several hundred dollars for supervision. It really just depends. And I know there can be a lot of judgment thrown around about that in terms of accessibility, but I do believe that there are plenty of people who are doing what they want to do business-wise because it is their time. It is their investment. Supervisors are invested in their supervisees and the outcomes. And there's liability there too and responsibility. So we have to take all of that into consideration. I know, for example, like I'll give a shout out to my clinical supervisor at my group practice, who's a very good friend of mine, Jennifer Garrett, is one of the best clinical supervisors I've ever been around, where I see her sending out articles and podcasts and checking in on her supervisees. And it's just completely different than the experience I got, where it was like, literally one time my supervisor fell asleep in supervision <gasps> while somebody was talking while oh she God. was looking at the window. And, you know, it's just, you're, you're, sometimes you have to kind of, 
try a couple of different supervisors out too to see who you're what kind of style you kind of resonate with and what kind of approach you resonate with just like provider choice with therapy or doctors or anything else i mean we have supervisory choice too so i think that's really important for anyone listening who is newer in the field to realize that you do not have to stay with the supervisor that you've been assigned or the supervisor you hired who isn't getting your pronouns right who isn't culturally sensitive you can fire them you can move on exactly um exactly and one of the things we want patrick is like your clinical supervisor in your group practice we want them in the directory and then we want your group practice as a partner with and listed under their under their bio because when your group practice here's another entrepreneurial thing because you know i can't stand it because i love it um, your group practice links to the CSD and the CSD links to your practice and raises both of our SEOs. So that's another big deal is our website is national. We have gone from zero, zero, zero Instagram followers to 2,500 in six months. That's not an easy task with no, we're just little two, three little people doing this. I mean, it, we're just regular old folks. We're not Amazon or, or Jeff Bezos or these big people out there doing massive things. We're just people that are trained as therapists. So um, it's, you know, we, we're, we're hard, hard workers, but we know how to do this and we're, and we're getting it done. And so we want, we, we, can, we can really, you know, a high tide raises all ships. And that's really where we're focusing our, our energy is to, is to elevate clinical supervision, elevate all of our work to say, this is a huge priority to say that this is what we, we, we take this really seriously. So when you've got an amazing clinical supervisor like that, you say, you need to be in the directory. I'm going to pay for your directory listing. And because this is a, this is so important to us. And then our practice is going to be represented. And we're going to tell people, we believe so much in clinical supervision that we made sure our people were represented in this. Absolutely. It's a great point. It's um, a wonderful way to all build each other up to to support one another's journeys and visions. So I think it's wonderful that, you know, this is multifaceted. Um, one thing I have a question about, because I know I've seen this a couple of times, including with myself, I had a clinical supervisor in community mental health who never wrote hours down. She got fired. All of the hours that I did then disappeared, prolonging how long it took me to get my clinical license. Do y'all have any tracking mechanisms within the uh, supervision directory or anything to like help supervisees along those journeys so the stuff like that doesn't happen to anyone else? Yeah, so that's a really great question. We certainly have a few tools and that's part of what we're doing this year is adding to our toolkit. Um, but we also are building some partnerships with some of those. There are a couple different tracking tools that are built online and we're building some partnerships with those. So for example, like when you get a directory listing, you can purchase for your supervisees a membership with these different kinds of tracking tools. So I think that that's brilliant that you mentioned that. And I'm glad you brought that up because it, it puts it back on my radar as something that's a definite need. Um, but there, you know, there are some easy to use tools for that. Um, but I, I'm glad you mentioned that as a reminder, because yeah, I think it, it's, it's really important that everyone take responsibility for those kinds of things is certainly easy to forget. And I can't tell you how many people I know their supervisor disappears and they lose their hours or their supervisor disappears. and They didn't get signed off on. And so all of those things are things we talk about. We send out a weekly newsletter to. So I really encourage anyone to just sign up for our information. And we try to put little tidbits and tips about supervision and what, you know, just some things to just generally know about supervision and 
for supervisors and supervision seekers in that. And on our Instagram and on our Facebook or social media, we put all kinds of things like that to just say, hey, think about this. Remember this. This is a good tip. Very cool. I'm glad you're addressing that because you're right. I mean, supervisors disappear. They don't sign off on hours. They change jobs. They lose the paperwork. And all of a sudden, like the supervisee is left scrambling, trying to figure out who's going to sign off on hours that maybe they didn't complete it under them. You know, and I know some states still require paper charting. Uh, they don't have electronic portals like North Carolina's LCMHC board will only allow you to mail in your supervising logs and not there's no portal to upload those into. So it's just one of those wonky things, like you said, where state to state and even license type to license type, everyone is doing things differently. So it's really nice that you have everything under one roof. That sounds like a really fantastic offering. Yeah, I can tell how passionate you are. I mean, I've met you in person and I know you really love this stuff, even if it started as a, I don't want to do this, but now <laughs> here you are. And it's like, I didn't want to do this, but it's happening and it's growing. And now it's yeah. either like, I've got to be all in or I've got to get the hell out of the way, right? Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like I said to my accountant, does this have to really be like an LLC? And she's like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and now I've mortgaged my house and here I am. So like, this is a big deal to me. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'll either, I won't, I won't have ass anything. So I'm either all full ass or no ass. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm full ass in it, Patrick. And, um, and here we are. I mean, it, I, it is a really big deal to me and, and, you know, I actually wish someone else had done it. I mean, I wish, you know, ACA had done it or NASW or someone else. And again, you know, there are a few other things, people that have sort of done something similar-ish, but I don't think anyone has done it like this, um, nor as well and um, or as comprehensively. And I, I think that we're, we're really leading the pack um, and, um, you know, we're talking about it and we're getting out there and, and, and really walking the walk and, and talking to talk from supervisors to supervisors for across all mental health fields. So that's really the key. Very well said. I love it. I love it. And <laughs> I hope everyone that needs supervision or knows of a colleague who does or is just working in the field can really check this resource out and share it with people who would definitely be needing this, especially newer graduates and people coming into the field, that's going to be really important for them to know that they do have options and have choices and that their career doesn't have to be one directional. Um, Amy, just tell us where we can find this information and how they can access it. And we're going to put this in the show notes for everyone that's listening as well. So you can uh, go from it directly from the link as well. Absolutely, I will. And Patrick, you know, we need you in there as an expert in private practice building. So I'm going to send you a link to a free web, a free, your own free directory listing as soon as we get off this phone call so that you can set that up because people need to find you as an expert in practice, private practice building. So that will be outstanding for people to be able to connect with you on that in the, in the CSD. So look for Patrick there as well, but um, in North Carolina. So in the meantime, however, um, you can find us at clinicalsupervisiondirectory.com, which is the whole big long word clinicalsupervisiondirectory.com. And we're also on, um, we're also on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn at clinical supervision directory. So. Very, very cool. We will have that in the show notes, clinicalsupervisiondirectory.com and make sure that you check it out, you know, get your supervisor on that site, share it with people that, you know, really ensuring that the next generation of mental health practitioners has guidance and mentorship and support and really applauding the fact that the work that we do is really fucking hard. And 
we can only do that work if we have good mentorship and guidance and an ability to process things in a healthy way for not only us, but our supervisors as well. Want everyone to just um, write that down, check it out, make sure to share it. And for everyone listening, this is another episode of the All Things Private Practice podcast. You can listen to new episodes every Monday morning. Listen, download, like, subscribe, and share everywhere you listen to podcasts. If you want to find more of my information on coaching, retreat building, um, courses that are coming up, you can go to allthingspractice.com or join my Facebook group, All Things Private Practice, and we will see you next Monday. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.